You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Listen, we're going to continue on in this series called The Need for the Supernatural. And today we're reading a very short passage in the book of James, and then we're going to be moving to another passage later on for the main gist of the message. But let's begin in James chapter 5, verse 17 through 18. Everybody read it with me. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. The Holy Spirit, we ask for your activity in our hearts, in our minds, in our values, because you have been sent to continue the work of Jesus here on earth, not just in us, but through us. And I pray that we can see the activity that you have in front of us and that we can pursue it with all of our might in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you and be seated. So this is actually the uh, fifth message that that I've done on the need for the supernatural and some comments that I've... Uh, made at every junction of the mess of the series, I'm going to say again today, why are we doing this? Why are we addressing the supernatural? Because we find that American Christianity, as we see it today, has de-supernaturalized the Bible and the faith. There's a, there's, a ser- there's a teachings that have taken hold of, in fact, it's, I will say this, it's even become secondary nature to some even religious leaders that they would just go, yeah, well, come on, man, we don't actually believe that God does these things. I mean, come on, let's just be real. And part of the, I think, part of the problem with that is this. Many spiritual leaders de-supernaturalize the Bible because by their definition, they have not experienced the supernatural themselves. And I want you to notice what I said by their definition. They have such a narrow and they have such a a small dimension uh, or a small definition of what it is that even when God does something, they seem to find another way to explain it. I can think of a time when I was uh, friends with another religious leader and uh, his wife, he didn't believe in miracles. His wife had contracted cancer. And so in our group, when we were meeting, he made the comment, you know, we would really appreciate your prayers. And so we, and we said, absolutely, we'll be praying. And so she went to uh, the doctor, not the one who had diagnosed it. She was referred to a specialist. And in that meeting, she was told that she did not have cancer. And so she came back, told her husband, and then he came to us and he said, you know, you, I was just expecting like, you know, there's going to be this like, amen, hallelujah, praise God, you know, healed. And I need to revisit. I was thinking like, there's going to be some real transformation here. And this is his comment. This is why you always need to get a second opinion, because the first opinion can be full of errors. And I was like, wow, interesting. Even when God does something, you're not, you're, you've, you've already got a mindset that he can't get credit for that. And we, it was like, well, didn't, didn't he do x-rays? Didn't he do tests? Yeah, yeah. But you know, you know how subjective those things are and you know, those things. But anyway, was, that's, that's why you always want to get a second opinion. And it's just amazing that you can have a mindset that even when God does something for you, 
You find an exit ramp for, it was coincidence, it was chance, there was a big misdiagnosis, it was an error, it was this. It's just amazing to me the paradigm that some people already have in their mind that even when God does something, it's dismissed. And that's why I say, by their definition. And so we're looking at a passage of scripture that I think today is interesting from the standpoint that it's talking about Elijah. And I will, I will tell you, I've read this, I can't tell you how many times I've read this, hundreds. And I saw something as I, was, as, as I was putting the series together, I saw something in this verse that I had never caught before. So I'm going to tell you something today that I hadn't caught before. Good, that's 25 of you, I'm getting more. <laughs> Two weeks ago it was 10, now we're up to 25. Notice this, Elijah was a human being at, even as we are. See, this is being written by a guy named James. James was not, this is not the apostle. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. It's one of the first books of the Bible that got wrote. And so he, it's interesting, his view here is this. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. We have a tendency to take some of these uh, forefathers of the faith that God used in great and magnificent ways, and we kind of put them in a different sphere than what we are and thus we can distance ourselves from the fact that what God did through them, he can't do through me because, out, because they were actually in a whole nother realm and special or whatever. And James actually starts off with saying, well, you know, Elijah, he was a human being. He was just like us. You remember, Elijah was taken by God. He didn't die. God took him. He is, uh, it is prophesied that he will be one of the prophets that comes back in the tribulation and begins to preach. Among. And so this guy like has a real serious connection to God, prophetic. I mean, how many guys get to come back and do it for the second time? Right? And James starts off with, he's a human being and he's just like us. Wow. I mean, if I was there, I'd probably say, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, I know the story of Elijah. I mean, come on. I... There's no way I would put myself in that category, and nothing offensive, but I wouldn't put you there either. <laughs> how, can you, how can you say that? Well, there's a couple things that I want to point out about this verse. Number one, it says he prayed earnestly. What does that mean? I have the Greek words that were written back then, and what it means is this. It means to pray in a focused, sincere, serious manner. It actually means to, to pray with some, some emotion but very directed and very sincere and very... And so one of the things we have to understand that made Elijah, what made Elijah Elijah is the fact that he was passionate when he prayed. I mean, not just haphazardly. He was laser. He was focused. And by the way, I hope you understand, this is one of the things that we try to teach here at the bridge. I know there was that segment in the service, like today, Pastor Malik, he said, hey, let's praise him for this, and then let's ask him for this. And notice he used the word passionate core prayer, passionate. That's, there's a reason we use that phraseology, because it was that type of prayer that Elijah had. And he was a human being just like us. So we need to be comfortable with praying out loud with some intensity. We're not being competitive. We're not trying to be louder than the guy standing next to this, next to us. But the point is, Elijah was one of those guys who was not afraid to pray intensely and pray out loud. Here's another part. We didn't read this verse. It's actually the one that precedes what we read. 
And it's verse 16. It says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then it illustrates it with Elijah's life. And what I want you to know is, it says it's powerful and effective. The word powerful comes from the Greek word enageo. Does anybody want to guess what the English word is for that Greek word? Energy. Wow, you are so brilliant. <laughs> Studying up on your, yeah, it's actually, that's where we get our word energy. And it means very strong. This is what's interesting. The Greek language is way more exact than English language. In the English, you can have a word, but it could have 20 definitions. And so you have to pay real close attention to the context of the word to understand what it means. In the Greek, that's not the problem. In the Greek, it's always one word, one meaning. You don't have 20 meanings. It's usually one. And if they meant something else, they would use another word. It's an interesting dynamic here because he uses the word a second time in the same verse, energeo, and it means effective. Isn't that interesting? So one instance he says it's powerful. And here's the other part. So powerful means it's effective. Effective means it's powerful. You see that? It, it, so he's saying it's active, it's productive. So what I want, I know I'm, I know I'm giving like some serious theology here going into language and all that. So hang with me. The reason I'm showing you this is for this particular reason. It says that our prayers are very strong and powerful and active and have the ability to be productive. If that's not supernatural, I don't know what is. That I can actually pray and it sets something in motion. You see that? When people say they don't believe in the supernatural anymore, I don't think sometimes they're, un they're not aware of unintended consequences, which would be this, then why pray? Because in essence, prayer sets very strong, powerful, active, productive motions. It sets it in motion. If that's not a definition of supernatural, I don't know what is. So when we start dismissing the supernatural, we have to be careful because in actuality, we might be dismissing prayer. Because prayer is energeo, powerful, effective. If I can handle, listen to me, if I can handle it, why pray? Why do you pray? Can't handle it. Well, if we don't believe in the supernatural, you're just kind of like, well, then we can just, the only thing you need to pray for is forgiveness and move on. Huh? Come on. So we need to understand this, this, this is crucial for us. Now, the other side of this I want to show you is this. When he wrote about Elijah, you know there was no New Testament yet. In fact, James was the first other than Galatians, we think, we think James is one of the first, Galatians and James were the first two books written in the New Testament. So when he wrote about Elijah, you know, there was no other New Testament references to cross-reference with. How was it used in, you know, here? The only thing they had was the Old Testament. So if we want to understand what James was talking about, the supernatural and Elijah, then we got to go to the Old Testament. We got to look at the life of Elijah because when he wrote that, that's all he had. Everybody with me? So we're going to jump to 1 Kings, okay? We're going to go there. But before we do that, I'm going to show you something in relation, well, 
in relationship to this verse that we read, James chapter 5, verse 17. Everybody read the first point with me. The supernatural works. It works alongside our humanity. Elijah was a human being even as we are. So, let's look at the life of Elijah. In 1 Kings 17, verse 11, he's with a widow and he needs something to eat. So he says to her, as she was going to get it, meaning something to drink, he called and bring me please a piece of bread. So even though Elijah is this great prophet supernatural, he's still a human being who has to eat. God does not use the supernatural to exempt him from the needs of humanity. Then in verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Ahab and Jezebel are after him. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Notice, Elijah is afraid. I thought these great men of God caused other people to be afraid. I didn't know that men of God could be afraid. But Elijah is afraid. So we know he's hungry, okay? And we, and we know he's afraid. So one of the things that we have to recognize is this. Even though God may use us supernaturally, we still have to mow our own grass. <laughs> Even though you're, a, you're holy and righteous and you're prophetic, you got to do your laundry. You still have to put gas in your car. You sometimes have to take it to the garage for them to fix it. Yeah, what you find is this, is the supernatural doesn't exempt us from the everyday needs of humanity. And so, and I'm just telling you, some people struggle with it. They want the supernatural to be a, a realm that removes them from the natural. And I, I go, no, I'm sorry, your kids still have to be raised. Um, yeah, they're as, as, as awesome as a day that you had yesterday in the supernatural, when you get up today, they wanted breakfast. God supernaturally didn't drop a breakfast on the countertop. You had to actually fix breakfast for the kids. I'm just saying, it's just amazing that some people think what they think the supernatural should do, and you find, and by the way, sometimes, let me say that sometimes the supernatural doesn't do everything that we thought it should. Here's the next tough example with Elijah. Now, I know you're going to think that I made a mistake in the scriptures because it repeats itself. So, no, I didn't make a mistake. This is actually how it reads. It, it, so, you'll follow along. So, this is 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 through 14. Ahab, or, uh, uh, Elijah's on the run from Ahab and Jezebel, and he's hiding in a cave because they're trying to kill him. And then God shows up while he's in this cave. And this is, this is what happens. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? I mean, he's just, he just had this great showdown with the prophets of Baal and won. And his response is, run. He, and so he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Don't you love how we always justify ourselves? I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So what's God's response? 
The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart. That's impressive. And powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Very impressive. Okay. But the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind there, and, and after the wind, there was an earthquake. Another impressive, right? But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. I would tell God at that point, slow down. <laughs> Got it. You, you have the power, not Ahab, Jezebel. I get it. Very clear. You can slow it down now. Okay? But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Same question. What are you doing? How many know? Definitely need to give a different response. <laughs> Look at this. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. <laughs> the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altar, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Word for word. That's depression. The great man of God is depressed. All this supernatural activity apart from him, outside of him. And he's hungry, he's afraid, and he's depressed. And you're like, well, the supernatural is supposed to solve all those problems. See, that's what I said. The supernatural sometimes doesn't meet our expectations. And actually, it's at this junction, I don't have time to go on, this is where God's, in essence, he doesn't say it as clear as I am, Elijah, you're done. He says, I want you to go back, and there's a man in the field, and his name is Elisha. I want you to, I want you to anoint him. This is, this is when God pivots and begins to move that anointing to another prophet. Okay? But I say this. Sometimes people in depression, and I know that there are people here who maybe battle that, and your expectation is if he's God, then he should be able to deal with my depression heal me and set me free and I'm here to tell you with Elijah here's the thing even with depression God can can use you but I don't always understand why he doesn't heal all of our ailments I mean there's people in this congregation who have had lifelong physical challenges okay and I know God can heal them, and they know that God can heal them. But the thing is, they still trust God for his activity to flow through them. And it's, it's, a, it's tough when God sends it through you, and you go, yeah, but I need it too. <laughs> it's tough. So number one, stop beating yourself up because, quote, you have a mental illness. Somehow I'm a second-rate citizen. I'm less than what God can, can, would, what, can use me. No, he can still use you. In fact, he's bringing Elijah back. Wow. As one of his most powerful voices. And yet in his humanity, if we, like I said, we read some things, he was fearful, he was depressed, and God still used him. 
Okay? Don't be careful that you think that some part of your life has to be perfect before God can use you. We're all vessels of clay jars being perfected. Some people, be, some of the things that God is perfecting is more visible than other people's stuff, but we're all being perfected. And everybody said amen. amen. Number two, read this out loud. The supernatural can cost us favor that we would prefer to have. Whether you want to admit it or not, we all like to be liked. We like people to love us. And there's always the guy who will say, I don't care if anybody likes me or not. And what he wants is people to like him and envy him for that statement. <laughs> In fact, he'll stand taller and straighter if somebody repeats what he just said with the following addendum. This guy here says he doesn't care what anybody thinks about him and that's why I look up to him and that guy who said that says that's right son wait a minute I thought you didn't want anybody looking up to you and you didn't like you didn't care if nobody liked you but oh isn't that interesting now all of a sudden you like the kid because he looks up to you huh we all like to be liked now we have to be careful that we don't become actors that play to the crowd and say and do things just to win favor. But Elijah was no different. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, this was the king Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will neither be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. You know, that's not an easy thing to say. That would be like saying that today and declaring that there will not be rain until Christmas of 2025. I don't think you can say that with a smile on your face. Recognizing the havoc that that's going to bring in people's lives that you know and don't know. And so one of the tough things about the supernatural is it doesn't always make us popular. Sometimes it pushes us outside of circles that we would like to have been included in, people that we would have loved to have been around. I mean, I can give you some, I'll give you a personal example of this. Over the course of my life, I have found myself in certain venues with certain people that you look up to or you like or you wanted to get into the, a group uh, because they were other spiritual leaders and you enjoyed that company and you enjoyed the camaraderie. And a few times this has come up where they go, hey, I didn't know you were Assemblies of God. I'm like, okay. By, uh, by the way, that's the denomination that we're affiliated with. You know, I was like, oh. And I was like, okay, like, it's not like I was hiding it. I'm not sure what the relevancy of that topic is. And then they follow it up with this comment. So you're one of those Pentecostals? You know, the people who go, woo, you know. Okay, yeah, well, I, Pentecostal, yes. No. What? You're... 
You're one of those guys who does all that, you believe in all that woo-woo stuff that Jesus does. <laughs> woo-woo, okay, yeah. If you're talking about healing, God providing, yeah. I, I, just because I believe those things doesn't mean I have to act wacky. But yeah, I believe that God does that. And then silence and crickets from then on. No contact, won't return calls, won't, I don't get reinvited. Because that was a group for spiritual leaders who didn't believe in that anymore. See, that's why you, you, you always you think the supernatural sometimes opens doors, and it does. But it also sometimes shuts doors. And you don't get invited back. You don't get brought in. You don't get referred. You don't get referenced. It's... Everybody knows that it's a lot easier to be effective in life with collaboration, with, with uh, you know, we use all types of words, synergy, you know, where we complement each other, we can do more together than we can apart, and all that. And, and certainly Elijah's life would have been a lot easier if the king and queen would have been a little more favorable towards his message and who he was, what he represented. But because of the supernatural activity of God in his life, it actually, by the way, later on in, in, the, in the book of Kings, Ahab is trying to build a, a military alliance, and the king that he's trying to get this alliance with says, your prophets, Ahab, are a bunch of politically correct. They've read your speech, and they just agree with you. Why don't you bring in here somebody who will say something that's truthful? So Ahab brings in Elijah, reluctantly. And Elijah declares, you don't want to have this alliance, and you don't want to go to war, and this is going to go bad. And Ahab's response to the other king is, see, I told you, this guy never has anything good to say. <laughs> sometimes the supernatural gets you in, but sometimes it puts you out. And you have to understand, with Elijah, his whole ministry, he was on the outs. In fact, when he comes back a second time, <laughs> he's still on the outs. I, if I was him, I would be going, tribulation, are you kidding me? Part two of my ministry is, when are you, are, is it, come on, God, you got to have a better piece for me than that one. I had Ahab the first time. Yeah. Number three, read it out loud. The supernatural is a, it's a journey, not a destination. So we read about his life, verses 2 through 9. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan, stayed there. The, ravine, or the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. That's where most people would like to stop and go, wow, this is retirement. It's just, got a brook, a little fishing, I'm good, set for life, man. But here's the thing. We sometimes think the supernatural concludes this way. And they lived happily ever after. <laughs> no. No. The, 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 hum, the humanity factor continues. And as long as humanity is there, there will be new needs new crises, and new challenges. So the supernatural is a journey, 
Not a destination where you go, and we lived happily ever after. The checks just kept flowing in. <laughs> Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And remember, Elijah said there won't be rain until he says. And so we would kind of go like, well, dude, ask for rain or just say there's rain. You got, I mean, this is of your own making here. Or, well, Elijah, you must have sin in your life. Because this, this brook represented God's provision, and God's provision dried up, so obviously you must have sin in your life. No. Because here's, here's where the journey was to go. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. Uh, I don't see, that was outside the Jewish influence. That was Gentile territory. Elijah wasn't going to go as long as there was water and food. God knew exactly how. It's amazing how God knows how to get us to move when we don't want to move. He dries up the brook. And we go, oh, I think God wants me to move. And you're like, oh, really? That's brilliant. Like, no provision. Wow, that's, yeah, that's good that you figured that out. Supernatural is a journey, not a destination. We don't live happily ever after here. We live happily ever after there. Don't get the two confused. Amen? Number four, read this out loud. Doing your best, it facilitates the supernatural. Starting in verse 10, when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Wow. All he asked for was a glass of water. <laughs> Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. The man who's afraid said, don't be afraid. Isn't that crazy? God sometimes gives us a message that we could use for ourselves. Sometimes we're telling other people and inside's going, God's going, yeah, and that means you too. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me. Wow. For me. From what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. It almost seems selfish, doesn't it? For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. What I want you to see is this. She gave her best, even though it wasn't much. In the eyes of man, it was the best she had. And I know this. When God does things, we always have skin in the game. Faith means, I, I've said this before, if you're new, please remember this. Faith means you go first. David went after Goliath. With five stones. 
I look at the story a little bit differently than some other folks because I look at the five stones and the slingshot and I go, bless your heart, you really believed you were going to get four more shots if you missed on the first one. <laughs> bless your heart, David. That's a man of faith. Hey, we all know, one shot, baby. You don't need to carry five stones. You need to carry one, because if you miss that one, it's over. He took five. The, the giant wasn't defeated until David went into the valley and faced him. Hey, you read the story of the Ark of the Covenant with the priest when they crossed the Jordan River into the, into the Promised Land. And it says that the priest went in carrying the ark. And when the last priest carrying the ark put their feet in the water, it says then the Jordan River stopped and it was dry and they were able to pass through on dry ground. But I've been to the Jordan River and it's, in places it's a very steep bank. And what you need to know is this. When the last guy got his ankles wet, the first guy was up to his neck. And he had the Ark of the Covenant on his shoulders. He really needed God to part the water because he was staring down, drowning, right? Faith means you go first. I'm sure, I'm sure the priest went, yeah, let's do a rotation today. <laughs> Rookies up front. <laughs> Veterans in the back. Besides, we're known for, we need to see the field so we can make good decisions from back there. Yeah, yeah. Faith means you go first. Hey, what, you know, and what I want you to notice is this. She was very respectful. Very respectful. Even though Elijah wasn't from her nationality, from her nation, she treated Elijah with respect. Even though she had needs, and I'm sure what he was asking seemed a little beyond, guy, you need to pay attention. I'm actually out here forming our last meal because we're dying today. And you're asking not only for me to give you water, you actually want me to split my last meal with you. Are you kidding me? She, stayed, she, she just did her best. I've never heard a testimony stated this way. It wasn't until I became a slacker. It wasn't until I stopped doing good. It wasn't until I just stopped everything and just let it fall apart. And that's when God blessed me. You know what you hear? I was doing everything I could. To the degree that I could do excellence, to the degree that I could put my best foot forward. And I knew it was falling short. But I just kept going and just kept asking God help. Help. I'm doing the best I can. I can't manage any better. I can't produce any more. I'm not stopping. But God, it is significantly short for what is needed here. We, I always hear is this. People were doing the, most, the best they could, and then God showed up. Doing your best facilitates the supernatural. Because it's in that that we are giving our best, but we also know we're falling short, and that's all, let me just tell you, that's the space that God loves to work in. Your best effort falling short. God loves that arena. You reap what you sow. Amen? So last point. Takes about 20 minutes, but it is the last point. No, I'm just kidding. 
Everybody read it. The supernatural enables us to make a difference in the midst of crisis. The supernatural is not designed to make us famous. It's designed to make us effective. It's designed for us so that we can step into arenas where nobody else wants to step in. It's designed for us to make a difference where everybody's bailing. We walk in and say, I'm not bailing, I'm here to help. Here's a great story here that picks up right, this is picking up right after the provision. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Do you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? The enemy always wants to drudge up stuff that says God's angry at you. And God is ready to bury you. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Notice this has caught Elijah by surprise. And just as much as she's grieved, he's grieved. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord. Lord, Notice the word cried out. This guy is a passionate prayer warrior. Okay, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Oh man, I would love to have been there on that one. Then the woman said, notice this, then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Wow, it wasn't the provision. It was the miraculous healing in her family. God did something for her that was beyond flour and oil Sometimes provision doesn't, it doesn't affect people the way that we would like it to. But you save a life in their family. You save their life. You change the destiny of that person or the, someone in their family that they knew was going the wrong way. And, there's, and boy, all of a sudden, God's got a different appearance to them. And here's the other side of this. You notice it says that he said, give me your boy. He was dead. Elijah's a Jew. Jews don't touch dead bodies because it makes them unclean. And Elijah says, give me. Give me your boy. He was not afraid to touch something that nobody else would touch. And he was not afraid to do something that nobody else would do. He took him upstairs. And he, he stretched himself out on the boy. God, heal this child. Heal him. Do things that nobody else would do. Nobody else would touch the situation. Everybody else would just go into sympathy mode. But nobody wants to touch that one. And let me just tell you what that means for us as followers of Christ here. The supernatural is, again, not designed to make us famous. It's not designed to make us rich. The oil never runs out. The flour never runs out. It's not designed for that. It is designed to have an impact.
and to change somebody's life and make God famous. I use this example, I, I hesitated to use this next example in the first service, and then I used it, so now it puts me on the hook to tell you all the same example. I'm glad that Christians are seeing some changes in our society in some of the ways that we are. We're starting to recognize that our influence is not based on our ability to stand back and criticize what's wrong. It's based on our ability to stand in and say, let me help, I'm here to fix it. We don't have impact by criticizing. We have impact by participating. But let me tell you what that looks like. I'm glad to see that Roe versus Wade is on the precipice of being overturned. And I know that that upsets other segments of our society, but no, I'm, I'm glad. Why? Because I know the devastation on personal levels of people who have walked through that, women who said, that was the darkest day of my life when I made that decision. And if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't. And let me just tell you this, we sometimes forget about the dads who said, I never knew, I never knew, I was never told, I was never consulted. And the devastation that it wreaks in people's lives. See, I, I don't, I'm not coming at it from politics, I'm coming from the point of sitting and helping people work through those crises. And let me just say, if, you, if you've been through that, you're not at a church that's gonna heap guilt on you, but I'll tell you are at a church that will say, where do you need healed? And you need to use your story to tell others why they shouldn't follow in those steps. Use your influence to say, honey, I know that it looks like the solution, but I stand here today to tell you that it's not. You don't want to go there. But here's the other side of this. The supernatural opens the door for participation. The state of Texas passed their law out, outlawing abortions, and the pregnancy centers immediately saw a fourfold increase in women coming to the center saying, well, then I need help. Fourfold. They were not ready with counselors, with people willing to help. And I'm just saying this. We don't just need to stand back and do this. The supernatural is designed for us to get involved. Do you understand? Moms are going to need help getting the, back on their feet. Do you understand there will be kids that will be put up for adoption? Do you understand that this is going to mean some people need to open their homes for foster care? This means people are in the, in the faith just don't stand back and go, we got a victory in court. No, we need a victory on Main Street, which means some of you are going to have to open your house. The supernatural opens doors and sometimes it's inconvenient. It's not designed to make us famous, it's designed to make us effective. There's a tsunami of needs that are going to be hitting our nation. I can't solve the problems from D.C. to California, but I can certainly do my part in Warrington, Virginia. Amen? Yeah. 
I say that, I'm telling you. A wave of things is coming. I'm not trying to sound prophetic. I'm just trying to tell you. God is going to start answering prayers that have been prayed for a long time. But if you think that means the Christians just get to stand up, stand up and just lift our hands and go, thank you, Jesus, he's going to say, no, I need your hands to help. Get your hands dirty. Like Elijah, give me that boy. I'll pray for him. I'll get involved. I won't judge you. Well, lady, you must have done something wrong. No. God needs you to get involved. And everybody said amen. amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning as we wrap up the service. Can you just lift your hands and I want you to praise him right now that he's a God who wants to use you as a supernatural vessel for somebody else's crisis. You may not even know what that is today. You don't have to know. You just need to be available. And God will bring you the need. Come on, church. Let's lift our voice for 30 seconds. Come on, all over this place. Lift your voice now. to do this in a way that brings unwanted attention or embarrasses you in any way. So let me explain how we do this. In just a second, I'll say if you need to accept Christ today, I'll ask you to lift your hand. And when I see it, I will say in a general way, I see your hand. I'm not going to say who you are, where you're at. I'll just say I see your hand. And that means you can put it down. And after me allotting a time for people to lift their hand, if anyone has lifted their hand, we're going to say a prayer. And the reason the church is going to say it, because they want to encourage you as you say it. They want to be a part of what God's doing in your life. And so you'd say, well, pastor, if you lead us in prayer, I'm going to be asking Jesus into my life today. If that's you, can I see your hand? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You say, I'm going to be asking Christ into my life. Yes, sir. I see that. Anybody else? You say, today, I'm going to be asking Jesus into my life. Come on, everybody together, say this out loud. Dear Jesus, I come to you today recognizing I need you. I need you as my Lord and Savior. And so I ask that you would forgive me. I ask that you would come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. 
Today is a new journey for me. I'm going to follow you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a praise. Can you do that? Come on. Listen, if you accepted Christ today, whether you lifted your hand or you didn't, you accepted Christ. As you leave the facility, right by the doors, there's bags and they say, follow Jesus. Pastor Lisa and I put some stuff together. Please take it because listen to me, what you did was not an event. You just started what we call a relational journey. And you need to know how to continue that. And that's what's there. Before we dismiss, I'm going to ask some of our connection group leaders to make their way forward. And we're going to provide an opportunity for people to be prayed for. Because see, here's the thing. Some of you, you need a supernatural miracle. Some of you have a friend, a relative that needs a miracle. And we want to encourage you to come and let these folks pray for you. And once, once we sing the song twice, I'm going to sing, or I'm going to say, sing. You don't want me to sing. I'm going to say the blessing, and we're going to go. But as we sing this, if you have a need, come on, make your way. But come on, let's sing it at least twice. Lift your voice now. Oh, oh praise the name of the Lord.